Not long ago in the Richmond Times-Dispatch, some of you may saw, have, seen, have seen it if you still subscribe to the paper, or maybe you saw it online, but there was an article, choir, you can see it, uh, salt is the most important ingredient in cooking. Salt is the most important ingredient in cooking. The writer states, in a world, uh, in a world history of food and cooking, salt is the most important universal ingredient. Sweet, savory, meat vegetable, in the background or in your face, she says, there is salt. She goes on, salt is the single most important ingredient in cooking and the single most powerful tool for improving the flavor of food. I agree. I like my salt. Growing up outside of Philadelphia, there's nothing like an authentic Philly soft pretzel. And we used to go to the street vendors when I was a kid and get a soft pretzel. And I love to squeeze yellow mustard all over that thing. Man, there's nothing like it. The next best one I have found in Richmond is over at the Capitol Ale House. It's enough for a whole family to eat. And you can dip it in the cheese. It is something good. Another thing about salt is I like Lowry's seasoned salt. And to steam the shrimp with that, that is good. But when I was 13 or 14 years old, my stepfather, who was quite a bit older than my mother, developed some heart trouble, atrial fib and some other things, And they put him not on a a low sodium, but on a no-salt diet. Anybody? Raise your hand if you had to do that. Some of you don't want to raise your hand because you know what it's like. It's terrible. But in our house, we used to use this product. They still sell it. It's called no-salt. I call it (laughs) no-taste. But we love our salt. If you look at the ingredients of most anything, especially processed foods, you will find salt, a lot of sodium, from Ruffles to Chips Ahoy, from steak to seafood, from pizza to pancakes. Salt is the most important ingredient in cooking. And I believe if what Jesus says is true, and it is, then salt is the most important ingredient in Christians. Jesus In fact, he says, we are salt. You heard it read earlier in Matthew 5.13a, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. To To be a salt of the earth kind of person means you're a good person. The kind of person who will do anything for anybody, give you the shirt off their back. Some of you know folks like that in your life. Some of you know folks right here sitting next to you who are salt of the earth kind of folks. I think of David Souter who died last July. Many of y'all knew David. a longtime member here and has survived by his wife Doris. They were married 73 years when he died. He grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia. An easygoing hard-working kind of person, grew up on the farm, treated everyone equal, 
He loved working the land. He loved hunting. He loved raising those bird dogs. He enjoyed being outdoors. He was kind-hearted. He was loving, generous husband, father, and friend. Deacon here at the church always wore a smile on his face. When you would go visit David in their home, he would be dressed with his shoes buttoned up and ready for the day. He was a salt-of-the-earth person. And I look around this room, and I look around the early service too, and I see salt-of-the-earth people. You're salt-of-the-earth. Good people. Loving people. Compassionate people. Who love God. Who love your neighbor. Who represent God well. Salt-of-the-earth. This passage is the first thing that Matthew records after the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember from our study last Sunday on the Beatitudes, where Jesus said, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. He pointed to the ways that Christians are supposed to live. The ways that Jesus' followers were supposed to be. And last Sunday we said, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus redefines what it means to be a citizen of God's new world. A world Jesus called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Who are the people of God's world? Who are these people? While we all uh, may look different on the surface and speak a different language, we said that Jesus reveals at the very beginning of his discourse that there are certain traits that will be common to all of those who are becoming a part of God's new kingdom world. We established that these traits are compassion, justice, and reconciliation. We said that those three words really summarize all of the Beatitudes. And we can look back at the prophet Micah in the 6th chapter, the 8th verse, and see Jesus picking up on that passage which says, seek justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Perhaps to be salt of the earth implies that we are to be all these things that Jesus taught in the Beatitudes. That we are to have compassion with a hunger for justice and righteousness and a relentless pursuit of reconciliation. To see one another reconciled and people reconciled to God the Father. The problem, though, with many of us Christians, myself included, is that we can lose our saltiness. To understand what Jesus meant here, let's do some mining. Let's mine the word salt for just a bit. Let's dig a little deeper. Webster's Dictionary defines salt as a mineral that is used for preserving and seasoning. And you know that. Its chemical compound is what, students? Anybody? Sodium what? Sodium chloride, N-A-C-L. The Latin root for salt is sal, S-A-L, which is where we get the English word salary, 
Roman soldiers were given part of their compensation in salt. It was a very valuable commodity and was used as currency. So today, when in your job or in your retirement, you draw a regular salary or payment in your retirement, it goes back to that word in the Latin that speaks of currency, value. Salt is one of the most ancient of all cooking spices and additives. It was sprinkled on the meat that was used in Jewish sacrifices. Salt became symbolic of the covenant between God and His people. You can look back to Leviticus chapter 2 and see some of that language. Sodium chloride is the only mineral that we humans take directly from the earth and eat. We would die without salt. And we find our food dull and boring and tasteless without our salt. Perhaps the life-giving and sustaining nature of salt is why it was often exchanged as money. I didn't know this, but the earliest roads were built to transport salt. And the earliest government taxes were levied on it. And entire military campaigns were launched to secure salt. Yes, the stuff that we often think is just worthless. The Morton Salt Company website includes a brief history of of salt. I found it interesting. They say, from ancient times to the present, the importance of salt to humans and animals has been recognized. Thousands of years ago, animals created pathways to salt licks. It's where they would go and, and, and lick the salt to satisfy their hunger. And then people followed seeking game and salt. Their trails became Roads, and beside the roads, settlements grew, and settlements became cities and nations. Ancient Britons carried their crude salt by pack from Cheshire into southern England, where they were often forced to delay their journey until the high tides of the Thames River subsided. A village known as Westminster grew up there, and Westminster became London. Salt has greatly influenced the political and economic history of our world. Who knew that something as simple as salt could change the world, right? In 1930, Mahatma Gandhi led over 100,000 people to walk some 200 miles westward from his commune in Hamedadab to Dandi on the seacoast. The reason for such a march was to avoid a costly salt tax imposed by the British colonial authorities who had a monopoly on salt mining. Gandhi shrewdly realized that salt symbolized the unity of all the people of India from the Brahmins to the untouchables because everyone needs salt. Everyone's life depended on it. Salt helped him bring India to independence in the mid-20th century. Jesus used this parable I believe, for much of the same reason. Just like everyone needs salt to survive, everyone needs the life-changing love of God. And the world can ill afford a church and Christians that have lost its zeal, lost its savor, and lost its tang. The world needs Christians to be salt, to influence one another, and to let their lights shine. 
I've always liked the Sunday comics. And especially Peanuts by Charles Schultz. There's lots packed into those little panels. Psychology, theology, wisdom. And there's one cartoon where Peppermint Patty is talking to Charlie Brown. You might not be able to read it, but you can see, see what I'm going to share with you. Peppermint Patty says, Guess what, Chuck? The first day of school, I got sent to the principal's office. She's on the telephone. She calls him up. Guess what, Chuck? The first day of school, I got sent to the principal's office. It was all your fault, Chuck. My fault? How could it be my fault? Why do you say everything is my fault? And Peppermint Patty said, You're my friend, aren't you, Chuck? You should have been a better influence on me. Peppermint Patty is implying that Charlie Brown had lost his saltiness. What does that mean, to lose one's saltiness? I'll I'll try. We'll, we'll, We'll go after it here. First, Jesus didn't say aspire to be salt or try to be salt or here's a 10-step program to be salt. He said we are salt. He said you are salt. You are salt of the earth. You are salt. This has striking implications for the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Here are a few thoughts. Salt loses its saltiness when it's not used. What good is it for a chef to have salt over on the counter or on the shelf in the kitchen if it's not used? Salt is useless if it is not used, if it is not sprinkled on the, on the food that is designed to go on. Neither can we influence others if we do not do the good works that we are called to do, that God has planned for us to do. You remember James in the New Testament who wrote, Faith without works is what? Dead. So salt loses its saltiness if it sits on the shelf. And salt loses its saltiness when it's mixed with impurities. Some of the salt in Palestine, the first century Palestine, um, when it was harvested in its raw form, was mixed with other minerals that weakened its ability to season food. So if you had salt filled with impurities, it's not going to do a whole lot. Today, we can think of the impurities that affect the Christian life. Cultural distractions, temptations. The Bible has three main sins that we deal with. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three basic temptations that Satan threw at Jesus in the wilderness. We can think of things like materialism, like substance abuse, greed, prejudice, our anger, our resentment, and other things that cause us to be distant from other people who are around us. We can think of complacency, apathy. We can think of an attitude that sharing Christ is someone else's job. That's what the deacons are for, or that's what the paid clergy are for. Someone else's responsibility. 
these attitudes and actions can weigh us down like salt water in a desalinization processing plant. You know, the, in that process, the salt molecules are weighed down by other chemical reactions and the salt flows to the bottom and then the pure water is taken and processed for drinking. When this happens, when a Christian becomes unsalty, we become ineffective and unproductive. This hurts our witness. Rather than shine sweetly the love of Jesus Christ, we hide His light under a bowl not to be seen. There's a quote from Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite writers. It's fairly long, but powerful. Listen to it. To be a witness for God is to be a living sign of God's presence in the world. What we live is more important than what we say because the right way of living always leads to the right way of speaking. When we forgive our neighbors from our hearts, our hearts will speak forgiving words. When we are grateful, we will speak grateful words. And when we are hopeful and joyful, we will speak hopeful and joyful words. When our words come too soon and we are not yet living what we are saying, we easily give double messages. Giving double messages, with uh, <clears throat> one with our words and another with our actions, makes us hypocrites. And now one writes, may our lives give us the right words and may our words lead us to the right life. And this is ever so present today in a world where people are so skeptical of Christianity. If you are here last Sunday, you might remember the sermon title was Flip the Script. Flip the Script. It's where we do the opposite of our selfish inclination and when we do the opposite of what the world expects we would do as Christians. In other words, we are salt and light. When we flip the script, we are salt and light. We influence others, and we sweetly shine the love of Jesus through our words and our actions. And I'd like to flip the script again today, if you'll oblige me. In his gospel, Luke tells of a time when Jesus went to eat in the house of prominent Pharisees. It's in Luke chapter 14. While he was there, Luke records that Jesus noticed how the guests who came in picked the places of honor at the table. You've been to a banquet, haven't you? You've been to a, a banquet or a reception, something where they have a head table and where the guests of honor are up there, right? You know what I'm talking about. So Jesus invited to this home of this prominent Pharisee and he sees the table all set out in the banquet and he sees the guests coming in and taking the seats up there close to the head table. The problem is that the guests all worked him, themselves up there to the front. And Jesus says, how embarrassing will it be when the host comes to you and announces that someone more important than you has arrived and you need to move down the table? He says, how embarrassing that would be. Where all the guests wanted to be was in medieval terms, above the salt, which was at one time more valuable than gold, and it was placed at the middle of the dining table. People of noble rank were seated above the salt, and everyone else 
below the salt. Guests of lower standing and some of the higher ranking servants were seated below the salt. And Jesus looked around and he sees all these people coming in to take their places above the salt. And he says, you better be careful because there's somebody more prominent than you that's going to be seated above the salt and you're going to be moved below the salt. And I want to suggest, I want to flip the script. I want to suggest that when Jesus called his disciples salt, when he said, you are salt of the earth, that he was expressing their unique giftedness and value as human beings. I believe when he said you are salt, that he says you are pearls of great price. As the psalmist said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I believe when he called the disciples salt, that he wanted them to know that they were precious in his sight. In his eyes, they were above the salt. They were royal. They were nobility. Salt of the earth kind of people. They were worthy to sit at the king's table. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Worthy of all of the benefits and privileges extended by the king when you're seated above the salt. But he said to his disciples, even though I think you are above the salt, you need to be willing to take the last place. To be first... They would need to be last. They'd need to be below the salt. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Take up your cross and follow me. The salt of the earth would willingly take a seat below the salt. And it is in so doing that you and I are able to fulfill these words of Jesus Christ let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The other day, one of our church members came up to me and she had seen the sermon title for this Sunday for today in some of our publications. And she handed me uh, one of those granola bars this salty sweet. You know, it's got the caramel and the salt and the nuts all in there. And she said, I saw your sermon title and I wanted you to, to have this. And, and I ate it right up. Tasty. A little salty and a little sweet all wrapped up in one granola bar. So I believe God wants us to be salt. Jesus says, be salt of the earth. Influence others and season their lives with compassion, with your seeking justice, and with your humility. And Jesus says, be light. Sweetly shine the love of Jesus Christ through your words and your deeds. In other words, be salty, sweet. Today, I invite you to respond to God's call to Christian discipleship. Our ushers and some of our staff are going to help, and today y'all can come on in, and they are going to distribute to each of you a little cup of kettle corn. Salty sweet. And as you take a cup, uh, pass it down all the way to the end so everybody has some. 
uh, Philip, can we get some up to the choir? Or, uh, they're up their way? I don't know how it is singing with popcorn, but use your discretion. How about it? All right? So pass a cup all the way down. There's plenty for all. And go ahead and eat a piece. Let it, let it sit on your palate. Alright. As you eat the, 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 the kettle corn, the morsels, savor the salty and enjoy the sweet. Alright, and I, I want to ask you some questions as you process this, as you taste it, as you allow your taste buds to separate the salty from the sweet. Here's, here's some questions. How is God calling you to influence the life of someone else? How is God calling you to season the life of someone else? So that you don't get a call from Peppermint Patty saying, I wish you would have been a better friend to me. I wish you would have been a better influence in my life. Or how is God calling you and me to engage in compassion for the left out, the oppressed, and the disinherited? How is God calling you and me to seek justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. To embrace Micah 6.8. To embrace the Beatitudes. Compassion. Justice. Reconciliation. How is God calling you and me to let God's love sweetly shine through. Say it, Tom. What? Yes, sir. You need salt on yours? Bring him some Mortons. Bring him a double portion of salt. Laureen, I didn't, I didn't say that, but y'all got to um, deal with the saltiness, right? How is God calling you and me to let God's love sweetly shine through you and me? How will you and I, how will we be salty, sweet? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pause and thank you for the gift of kettle corn today. We thank you for its saltiness and its sweetness. We thank you for giving us the ability to taste. And we're reminded of that passage that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Impress upon us the ways that you are calling us to be salt of the earth and light of the world. Ways that we might influence those who are around us here in this church and in this community and throughout the ends of the earth and to brightly and sweetly shine the light of Jesus Christ. We are to be salt of the earth and light of the world. Let us not lose our saltiness, and let us never hide the light of Jesus 
under a bowl. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.